0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Compliance Crosswalk Podcast. And uh, my name is Blaise Wabo, your co-host, and joining me today is my co-host and partner in crime, Artie Lawani. Artie, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Blaise. Doing really well. How are you?
0: Artie, I'm excited to to talk about this very exciting topic with you. And uh, today, guys, we'll be talking about the state of cybersecurity after the pandemic in 2022 right? So I can't believe it's been two years that we've been in this pandemic, a COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, cybersecurity is certainly not the same. But before we jump into the exciting topics, maybe we can uh, introduce ourselves. Artie, what do you think? For sure. Hello, my name is Blaise Wabo, and I'm the health and uh, financial services knowledge leader at Align. I've been with Align for almost nine years now, and uh, my focus has changed over the over the years. I started in the SAC practice, and uh, I led our title insurance um, industry, uh, and then switched to our healthcare industry in 2015 with a focus on high trust and hyper services. And there's just been a great journey. Currently, I, I focus more on thought leadership as it relates to healthcare and financial services overall. And uh, I'm excited to to have been here. Uh, prior to Align, I uh, worked for KPMG. Um, and I focus there on SACS4 for audits. Uh, so it's been an incredible 12-year journey as a realist in my career, and uh, I, I'm excited to you know, be part of this podcast with uh, with Artie, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy our session today.
1: That's awesome, Blaze. I had no idea you have been here for nine years. <laughs> Uh, so so my name is Artie Lawani, and um, I am the uh, risk management and privacy knowledge leader at Align. Uh, and previously, I was the ISO practice lead. So I have extensive knowledge with ISO, especially ISO 27001, um, any information security standards from that perspective um and i've been with the line for three years now it feels longer but three years here and i've been doing iso for more than five years um and uh privacy has jumped up in the past couple years for me so i've been taking that on as well um and now new with risk management so this should be uh this should be a fun topic to talk about see how the The world has changed from compliance standard-wise with the pandemic as well.
0: Very good. Very good. Thank you, Artie. An incredible background there. Uh, I agree with you. It feels like more than three years that you've been here. (laughs) So uh, obviously excited to continue continuously working with you as well. Again, welcome everyone to uh, the Compliance Crosswalk Podcast, uh, where we talk about the intersection between security and privacy compliance and risk management. And Ardi, today, as I mentioned earlier, we're talking about the state of cybersecurity uh, post the pandemic. Uh, What are your first thoughts when you think about where we are today as an industry in comparison to two years ago? What do you think we are?
1: So that's a really interesting question, right? So I think... Where we, I think the world has completely changed with the pandemic, obviously, right? So when we talk about from a cybersecurity perspective, I think it's it's very hard to even hit into that until we talk about the physical aspects where people are now working from home. Um, offices are not as important anymore. People are not going in, having those interactions with their coworkers. Everything has become very much remote. Um, both you and I are, are you know, working remotely. Um, and I know we have always but this has this is now been different for, for especially for ISO audits and compliance audits, because we were previously required to go on site uh, for every one of our audits. So there was a, a time for very many years that I would travel every Monday Um, to a client, and then leave Thursday night, and then do it again into a new city the next week. Um, And now I think that that work life balance has definitely um, filtered out into a way where I feel more, more stable at home, because we're, we're working remotely. um, And we're not traveling as much. Do you do you feel the same way about that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think uh, you described it best. It feels like the, the, the whole world was passed for almost two years, right? Where uh, people are not working from home or working from anywhere. Uh, I have friends that have traveled to different countries and I sitting on the beach walking working uh, all day long uh, from there. So uh, I, I agree with you. The, change, the world has certainly changed from that standpoint. And uh, I also think it introduces a new level of risk that we haven't seen before. So from a risk perspective, as it relates to teleworking, what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think now we're talking about... BYOD policies, right? Bring your own device. Um, I, I think that's become a little bit more prominent. That's something that most organizations had to either create that policy or step it up. Um, I found in a lot of audits that clients would, there, you know, when there were terminations that were happening um, and people were resigning and they would send back their device or their asset, um, it would actually go to someone's physical home. Because offices were closed. And then when you start following up and asking questions about that, well, where did you keep the device once it came to your home? Was it in a locked cabinet? Where was it? Oh, it was just sitting in my bedroom and until I could get it to the office. So I think security on that level was very interesting on on. You know, people didn't think about those sorts of things that everybody is working from home. But what is your actual level of security? What are you using a VPN when you're sitting, um, you know, at Starbucks or working um, on the beach or moving to Miami since everybody moved to Miami? Um, oh, you know, it's, it's just been interesting. Uh What. Has Have people stepped up their level of security? Have they updated their policies about remote working, about teleworking, um, and things like that? Have you seen anything different?
0: Well, I've seen a lot of trend along those lines as well. I think the risk has increased significantly. I think it's important for organizations to proactively implement controls to ensure that uh, those risks don't become a... Um, uh, and I've been exploited and 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 take down their network, for example, right? So as I think about the clients that we service already and some of the controls that I recommend the clients to implement, uh, one that comes to mind is uh, mobile device management, right? Or mobile application management, which actually there's a key difference because technically your traditional mobile device management manages the whole device. So whether it's a laptop or a phone, it has access to the whole device. But a mobile application management, which is it's better from a privacy standpoint, it manages only certain applications on that device, right? Whether it's an Outlook application or it's a Teams application or any Microsoft Suite application that goes with that. And it's not monitoring your Instagram, for example, or monitoring other activities as well. But either way that companies are going, that's my key recommendation to clients to implement some sort of mobile device management or mobile application management to manage that device or the applications that a company cares about. Any other recommendations you've been giving to your clients as you relates to protecting or reducing the risk from telework?
1: Um, Absolutely. I think uh, communication is key, right? Who do you go to when certain things happen, when breaches happen? What does that look like? Having to know that chain of, you know, where to go uh, for any sort of breach, ransomware, or um, even losing like the asset itself. Um, so, so as you said, I, I agree. I think that goes hand in hand as well. Having having that list too.
0: Maybe a good segue here will be telemedicine. Uh, obviously, with COVID, uh, we had increased number of people being sick, right? Whether it was COVID related or pre-existing conditions, and somebody needed a surgery and you can go to the hospital, I think has, has brought the growth of telemedicine, right? And uh, obviously, in that dynamic, depending on where you live and uh, the access to the technology and infrastructure you might have, it it went seamlessly. But for some people, they struggle with telemedicine because they, don't, they didn't have the bandwidth uh, to have the proper internet for that. But as you relate to telemedicine, you know, as I think about the healthcare industry, there's been significant level of risk, and I think the health Healthcare industry became a very high target for, you know, uh, cyber crime, uh, uh, people uh, to target a healthcare industry as it relates to a particular session that's going on. Are you seeing that trend increasing as well as it relates to the risk for the healthcare industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing the exact same thing that you are. Um, And and you know, you know, healthcare a little bit better than I do. But I, you know, I went through some of the same stuff when you're trying to go to the hospital or trying to make sure that your information is getting transferred when it was completely booked with COVID patients. Um, So things like that. So I absolutely agree with you on that.
0: Very good. And and yeah, I, I know, Telemedicine increased by 2,000% already. It's it's crazy. From 2019 to two th- end of 2021, over 2,000%. And um, I'm not sure if the industry can sustain um, getting away from physically seeing your doctor. But I think part of it is going to stay. You know, if you don't have, if you don't feel terribly bad and you just want to do a quick check-in, calling your doctor. Uh, Via a a smart device uh, through an application, it's going to become standard. Uh, But uh, what about privacy? You know, Artie, I know you are um, an expert in privacy. And when it comes to, you know, you pulling up your phone or your computer, calling your doctor from your house, there might be things in your background that you don't want your doctor to see, right? Um, What do you think are the privacy things to consider during a telemedicine session?
1: Yeah. So, um, as you said, like pri- privacy is always a consideration in everything we do, right? Everybody has a privacy policy. All their policies have been updated constantly, usually annually. You'll see, um, m- even the applications that you download to, to visit your, your doctor, uh, via, um, remotely, um, making sure that that application itself, one, uh, responds to the proper compliance efforts needed on, on say a HIPAA side. Right. Um, So making sure that's set. And then also opting in and out when you have, when you're in, when you can recognize a natural person in any regard that that's, that's the PII that, that you've inputted into this app or anywhere, making sure that you can be able to opt in or out of, of, Anything that they could subscribe that information to um, is a big deal nowadays. So just deleting the app is no longer a good enough reason to get your data off of there. You have to actually go in and figure out how can you remove your data from something that you're no longer using that has collected your data in the first place. Um, and I think that's I think that's a really good segue to kind of talk more about um, online shopping because it just apps alone and telemedicine, I think there's a lot more to cover when we, when we hit putting our information in a random website, because I wanted 20% off of the stress. Right. So I, I feel like there's a lot there too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was a great, that was a great um, comment that you made already regarding, and obviously we'll get to the online shopping, but I wanted to acknowledge your comment regarding the fact that, you know, providers will need to become more proactive as you realize to um, getting the consent of the patient, right, on what information they can actually retain during that session. And if they view something during the session in the, in the patient's background that it should not view, uh, you know, making sure that the patient is aware of the fact that they're either going to delete that part of the video or they're going to encrypt it. And that essentially all the communication with that patient during that session is entirely kept secure. Uh, Not only to hit hit, not only to meet HIPAA compliance security rules, but also to meet privacy as well. (music) Audit to your point earlier, with everybody working remotely, now there there are very few companies that might have an actual server room on site, and even if they do. Right. They're opening themselves more risk because they probably don't have the resources to implement that security on site for all that credit card data or all that confidential data, right? On site. So I think one of the things that I've also noticed over the last two years are the, from my perspective and my clients view is just the increase in the adoption of cloud environments. Um, are you seeing the same trend as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the biggest thing that we've seen is a dependency on um, co-locations or cloud environments, right? Um, it's something that you have to list and it's something that you really truly have to be dependent on. So if you're going to host your, your PII or your data um, in another another location, you have to make sure that, that using them as a vendor they have third party compliance that you're relying on um, and they're not just doing one compliance, you know, certificate or standard. They're hitting all of them, especially the, the major players, the major cloud players. Right. Um, so making sure that if if your auditor can't get into that environment because, you know, they're they're a major player. Uh, that there's, you're still very reliant on the certificates and attestations that they provide.
0: Well, that's a very good point, Artie. And to your point, the major cloud providers, the likes of AWS and Azure Cloud or IBM Cloud or Google Cloud, you, know, you name it, right? Um, they most likely will be storing all sorts of data, whether it's healthcare data, or credit card data, or federal government data, um, or data that might classify as GDPR uh, on fall under GDPR classification. You know, uh, for European um, residents. Uh, so I think I agree with you. It's important for these cloud providers to ensure that they are having these different types of uh, standards that they are following to ensure that they're keeping the data of their customers protected. Um, and uh, it's funny because I remember recently, I, I think it's less than six months ago, AWS was down for several hours. And the whole world was freaking out.
1: <laughs> that as uh, that's so funny. As an auditor, you know, they say, Oh, we're hosted in, in AWS, and I'm like, Well, have you have you done a tabletop on what if it goes down? No, it won't go down, we'll be fine. Okay. <laughs>
0: So I think one thing we learn from that incident with AWS, obviously, is that um, nobody is completely a hundred percent shielded from an attack. It does not matter how big or small you are, right? Obviously, from a risk management perspective, uh, of which this is your area of expertise, already, all you can do as a company is just reduce your risk to an acceptable level for for your for your stakeholders for your. Uh, investors, for the community, for your customers, you know, I, and um, I think the point here for cloud adoption, even though we're seeing an increase in that, companies don't think that um, you have to defer that risk 100% to your cloud provider. They can never a 100% cover that risk, right? You have to make sure that, as already you mentioned internally, you do some tabletop exercises. What do we do if our cloud provider goes down for six hours right you need to have some sort of uh contingency plans for sure
1: right it's there you need to have a business continuity plan i think the main thing that the um pandemic has really taught us is that anything could happen so making sure that that you have a business continuity plan in place for your organization to be sustainable is is huge, um, and that's something that I've seen a lot of organizations starting to adopt in the past two years. Uh, is is a business continuity plan per each location that they're based in, because what's vital for me in South Florida to be hit by a hurricane and what will happen from that point of view um, is very different from you being hit by a blizzard. Because uh, I will never see that down here, God but I just will never see it. Um, so making sure that it, it's relevant to each location uh, as well. Um, and then your vendor management uh, vulnerabilities and and assessments. Um, just because you put AWS down and you think it's a big player or Azure down and because it's a big player and you're fully dependent on that and you think it'll be fine, it's not okay. Uh, you have to go through the same process as a smaller vendor as well, and make sure that you're tracking um, everything that you need to when you're using and, and heavily dependent on vendors like that.
0: So far we've talked about, you know, the increase in trend of people working remotely or from anywhere. Um, telemedicine increasing over 2,000% in the last two years. Uh, We talked about online shopping and the increase in credit card and wire fraud, uh, credit card theft and uh, wire fraud as well. We talked about the trend of cloud adoption increasing significantly and people moving their servers from on-premises to some sort of colocation or cloud environment, right? But obviously with that, you're never 100% protected. You always have to make sure that you're doing your risk assessment, implementing disaster recovery, and things along those lines to protect your company and ensure its continuity as well. So one thing I think it's important to talk about is as well is, Audi, I think technology has just sped up in the last two years. It feels like we live in, I don't know, 2050 by now. Uh, Data analytics has increased. Blockchain technology is on the rise. Robotic process automation, I know, Tesla, or some other companies were piloting um, drone, machine technology to ship packages like Amazon was trying to do. Um, self-driving vehicles, machine learning, artificial intelligence—a lot of buzzwords, right? What does that? What does that mean to you?
1: Uh, sometimes I think the world's moving so fast. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. Um, just how far we've we've come, like that whole digital revolution has just absolutely sped up, um, if you will. And we're in, we're in a really interesting time frame, right? How, one, how do you, how do you balance, um, work and life and how, how do you balance what technology, what app, what, Software is right for you, um, and the what will keep you safe as well when you're using it versus um, just everything out there now. Um, so, I, you know, Blaze, I want to kick this back to you because I'm more interested in to hear your thoughts on this and just uh, like how quickly we've moved into AI. Um, and uh, automation, uh, data analytics, uh, blockchain technology, all of that. How do you you feel about that?
0: I think the one thing that stands out to me as as it relates to uh, um, our our industry already and my clients is blockchain. I think a lot of my clients have adopted blockchain technology, uh, whether they're using Ethereum uh, blockchain. And and, uh, the good thing with Ethereum is a smart contract piece. I think it would basically change the way uh, security is thought about, it, right? Because when you think about a traditional cloud environment, um, again, no, nothing is 100% proof from being exploited. But I think blockchain has proven that with using distributed ledgers has improved an, a, a higher level of security, right? Where if you try to hack into one ledger, it's identical and spread across um, thousands of times in different r- uh, regions and nodes and things like that, so it's, it's, it makes it almost impossible to hack. And then when you think about the technology of smart contract for the legal wall, that's a big game changer, right? Because now a bad guy, in order to hack a whole environment, they have to have the initial smart contract, which you, you cannot replicate over time, and it has every unique identifier in its uh, encryption. And uh, I think that's making that's taking security to the next level. And I think, you know, obviously, uh, hackers will become will have to become more creative to to uh, break that type of technology as well.
1: No, I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, is there uh, is there anything that that you think? We could do on a compliance level to protect from, um, you know, some of this stuff. Is is there a way that um, that you think it would make it even more difficult for for hackers from this perspective?
0: Sure, Artie. I, and I think uh, that, that's a great question. One thing that comes to mind to me is uh, uh, ransomware protection, right? I think uh, as you relate to the different types of malware, um, which are mostly propagated through phishing, uh, phishing attacks have been on you know, on the rise, I think 75%. The Verizon report shows that it's about 75% high. Um, the HIMSS report shows a very similar number, um, shy of 65% as well. I, I think that uh, with ransomware, <clears throat> it's important for companies to have a strategy, right? And uh, already, I believe that we are online, we started providing uh, ransomware services to to prepare clients on how to mitigate a ransomware attack, right? Uh, one thing that I did not know uh, I, as part of my research is there's not a thing called ransomware as a service. It's a coordinated ransomware campaign where criminals can basically buy a cybercrime kit. I didn't know people were marketing this thing. <laughs> And uh, so if you are a cyber uh, criminal, you don't have to try to build an attack on your own. You can go and buy a kit from a dark market and launch your attacks from there. And I think it's important for companies just to prepare themselves some ransomware. Make sure that you're bringing in your, your consultants, you're bringing in your legal team, uh, you're bringing in your incident response team, you guys are strategizing on what. How can we remain relevant and continue our business if we were part of a ransomware attack? What are your thoughts there, Artie?
1: Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. So so it's interesting that you talk about um, ransomware as a service. I think that's something that we've seen um, overall be be highly successful, actually. So what's the best way to protect from something like this happening? Uh it's to be prepared uh, to know um, what will what could get hit, and then what also you can do um, to counteract that. What are the next steps? Because the worst thing to happen is to um, to get hit by a hacker, and then just sit there and be like, "Oh well, I'm going to be in panic mode because I have no idea that I have to coordinate with these departments and these people, and we have to get quickly moving in that regards, right?" So I think ransomware as a service, like a preparedness service, is is a big deal for for a lot of companies right now. Um, and I know that you, making sure that one, you're you're going through your um, external pen tests um, every year and making seeing what what segmentation is, is there for all of your data. So if one one side of um, your house is hit, does it mean that the other side of the data is also hit? What is, what does that segmentation look like? Um, making sure that client, clients and organizations are actually going through that on their own and starting that process. Um, and then also doing tabletop exercises uh, is a huge deal, right? Getting, getting those members in uh, the same room and having them sit down and say, okay, well, Today, AWS went down. What are we going to do? Or say that there's, you know, this part of our um, data has been hit. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go from there? So, having those exercises and practicing and having um, something set in place in order to say, if this happens, we know how to protect from that. And that's what a lot of compliance is, right? It's risk based standards, um, risk based compliance. So, how do we hedge from anything that could possibly happen, and how do we protect from that? So I really, I really like the ransomware um, as a preparedness service, um, and I think a lot of organizations should start looking into stuff like that.
0: All right. Great conversations, Artie. We've talked about several trends so far. There is one more trend that I think it's important for us to talk about before we, we start landing this plane. And this is, a tra- this, is, this is in my experience, you know, one thing I've never seen before, and the term has been coined by the New York Times, the great resignation, essentially shortage in labor. So, Artie, we talked about the increase in technology. We talked about the fact that robotics have been used more. We both know that the pandemic has affected the supply chain, especially for, <clears throat> excuse me, especially for the retail industry. So my question to you is: Do you think the cybersecurity industry is affected by shortage in labor? And if yes, what is what are your thoughts there, or what are your recommendations on what companies in the space or the industry should be doing to make sure that they are hiring proactively, they are retaining quality, talent and things along those lines.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think the compliance cybersecurity field is exempt from the great resignation, uh, if you will. I think that the attrition rate in most organizations, it's pretty alarming, actually. Um, so, so what are, what are some of the main things? Why do people, you know, leave, um, work-life balance, right? Uh, people want to be recognized, um, for their talents and for their hard work, uh, not just as a resource for the company, right? So taking away from that mindset of uh, they're just a resource, they're just another employee, we're going to keep moving past that, but they're an actual human being. They have other families and things that are going on in their life as well. So keeping that mindset within organizations, no matter how big they get, right? Um, so that's that's one reason why people feel like they should, they should leave. I think um, from another perspective, uh, if they're not happy with, um, their, their managers or their direct, uh, direct bosses or reports, um, and, and pay pay is another reason that will keep people a lot longer than you realize. Um, so putting all those things together, I think seeing that the pandemic has taught us, uh, work life balance is extremely important. You know, we don't, we don't, live to work anymore. Uh, We definitely work to live. And I think that's kind of slowed us all down. It's given us a very fortunate amount of time with families and um, things like that. We've had to deal with so many things through this pandemic, uh, you know, personally, mentally, that people are now starting to take a different turn. Um, How do I live my life and still work, um, but not live like not work and then live my life. Um, so I think that's taken a huge turn. Um, from, a, from a compliance cybersecurity perspective, I think the hardest thing to figure out is how do we find someone um, when you list eight to 10 years worth of experience on a job description, um, but yet you're looking at college hires. Um, so h- how do we find that balance, Right. Yes, I think we need to lower the expectation that we're not going to find people um, with that much experience anymore. But they have other other skill sets that we're not even thinking about. So looking and changing that skill set um, will actually bring a lot more diversity to to the new hires as well. So when you when you broaden that that perspective, it brings um, a ton more candidates and applicants and people that you didn't even think were going to be part of that, that candidacy. Um, so that's, that's to me one of the biggest things and then also, um, trainings, right? So if we're going to hire people that don't have that eight to 10 years of experience that you were really, really looking for, then it's, it's your job as an organization to provide training to, to, um, these new employees to make sure that they get up to speed. You can't just hire them and put them in a job and think, okay, everything's going to be great. We're going to move on because you did your first three weeks of training and we're done. There should be continuous annual training. um, And things are changing in cybersecurity. What you knew a year ago and what you know now are completely different. We talked about that with, with the digital age speeding up on that. Um, so if we're not constantly being collaborative and bringing together our ideas and what we're seeing as teams, um, and then we're not training on the new new topics and standards and compliance that's coming out, then there's it's going to be very difficult to, one, keep employees and to um, try to hire newer employees and keep them up to speed as quickly. What are your thoughts on the great resignation?
0: Those those were great thoughts, Artie. Thank you very much for sharing those. You talked about the fact that employees need to have a work-life balance. Companies need to have creative way in recruiting, especially with a focus on the E&I network. Um, The word that comes to mind to me is culture. I I think companies need to redefine their culture, right? Not just have a check-the-box activity or try to meet some numbers uh, to look good on paper, they really need to rethink their culture. What culture do we want to have going forward, so that our employees can thrive in, our customers feel like they are, um, they are being taken care of, and our vendors feel like they can relate to us, right? Our community as well. So I, I think companies need to take the time to take a step back, think about your culture, think about what, what you want to build, how you want to make your employees, your investors, your customers, your vendors and your and people in your community to uh to, to, to respond or feel about the change that you guys are implementing. All right, thank you everyone for for being part of this great podcast today. Again, we talked about the state of the of cybersecurity after the pandemic in 2022. Uh as a as a quick summary, we talked about the trends in teleworking and remote working, uh, telemedicine, we talked about shortage in labor with a great resignation. Uh, we talked about, you know, more cloud adoption and digital revolution increasing significantly as well. Obviously, the increase in number of breaches and the increase in number of incidents uh, has been, you know, quite honestly, more than doubled in the last two years with ransomware being on the forefront of that. And then through these trends, we talked about what can organizations do to ensure that they're minimizing the risk and implementing controls to, to protect the data of their customers, right? Um, so I hope this this podcast was relevant uh, to you guys. Again, thank you for being part of the compliance coursework today where we talk about the intersection between security, privacy, compliance, and risk management. Thank you very much and see you next time. Bye-bye.